Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Rule of Three, a podcast about comedy. I'm Joel Morris. I'm Jason Hazley. And as usual, we're joined by someone who makes comedy to talk about something funny that they love. By taking it apart, maybe we'll learn something about how comedy works. Or we'll just quote bits from it and giggle until we're finished. Both approaches are valid. Our special guest today is the lovely Paul Putner. Hello. Hello, Paul. Hello, Paul. Hello. Very nice to see you. You too. I like your new headquarters. It's good, isn't it? The HQ. Yeah, it's yeah. nice, isn't it? Sort of like the men in black. It's sinister, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. We like underground it. base. Yeah. yeah. We can only afford it because it's below the volcano. And, yeah. You know, yes. Therefore, anything could go wrong. <laughs> it's quite nice. It feels, it feels like being at the BBC. Come into the BBC and come record here, except it's just about more badly done. Yeah. Nice. But you did say it's the BBC. Yeah, I think it Ish. used to be a BBC building. But everywhere used to be a BBC building, back when the BBC ran everything. Didn't yeah, it? yeah. That's just the past. BBC ran everything back then. What was yeah. it like half of London was owned by Paul Raymond? <laughs> Yeah. And Pizza Express. <laughs> and the BBC clearly had a stake in there as well. You've got those three like rival gangs. Yeah. There's some there are some very, very big landowners as well, aren't there, who are who are names that we should know who just own like the Duke of somewhere, you know, right. who owns like three quarters of any particular postcode in London you care to name, it's ridiculous. It's all yeah. the posh ones, you know, things like Kensington and yeah, Marylebone yeah. and things. It's those people, yeah, it's, it's that, that sort of system that we, we have that basically posh people years and years ago divided everything up and now you just don't even question it. And it's really odd. Someone said a brilliant thing that the first sign that you can tell hmm. that Britain, certainly England, was an invaded country that never overthrew its oppressor yeah. is that when someone introduces themselves to you and they says, hello, I'm Montgomery de Vere, you go, oh, you must be in charge. Yeah, <laughs> because anyone with a French surname, you just go. Well, you're probably in charge, aren't you? Probably, you probably got given some land by William the Conqueror, and you're probably still in charge of me. Yes, it's really good. Anyone with Montmorency de Fonts, oh, you're in charge. <laughs> We're just a very, very different people for a, for, a, for a proud nation. Yes, but luckily we're getting our country back, so it's fine. I uh, met. I've oh, dealt with. Yeah. <laughs> Gone for the fucking politics already, haven't you? Yeah. I met some. Um, I, 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 Joel and I have a friend who is uh, definitely a social class above us, and he has some friends who are a social class above him, and so on. Mm. And there was some point in which I was able to stare in company two or three rungs up the social ladder at someone whose surname was four words long. <laughs> <laughs> which was the longest surname I've ever seen. It was absolutely extraordinary. And we were playing a 
that we were sitting around playing a game of I've never dot dot dot. So you you know you just you volunteer things and you see if anybody if anybody has then they have to take a drink. I think that was the point of the game. You say things like um, I've never fucked a police officer, and someone who has will go hey and have a little drink of vodka. <laughs> yeah. And she chimed in with. Um, uh, I've never been in a private jet. And we all went, well, no, none of us have been in a fucking private jet. What are you talking about? Really suffering there. <laughs> I like that. My favourite thing I've ever heard about the upper classes is that it's extremely ill-mannered to allow yourself to be phased by a wasps. <laughs> <laughs> and this woman said she was interviewing this uh, this lord and she said a wasp, as he was talking, flew into his mouth, stung him several times on the tongue, and flew out. And he didn't flinch once. I, so that's, if you want to be posh, learn how to deal with the stings of chitinous insects. You see, that stinging on the tongue as well, that could cause a genuine fucking anaphylaxis, couldn't yeah, it? You could is, be dead from it. This is yeah. the first time I've that's understood so how posh. we got an empire. Yeah. This is amazing. We obviously went into countries full of insects and just ignored them. That's amazing. Oh, another uh, etiquette, <laughs> etiquette thing was um, if you drop money accidentally, it, it's really a gauche to pick it up. Right. And he did drop 20 quid at the bar and just sort of, you know, it's like loose change. <laughs> wow. Actually, that's, a, that's, an interesting, um, that's an interesting little social marker, that is. What would you not stoop to pick up? I noticed recently, and I realise this is getting older and changing, maybe sort of I'm better mm. off than I was. When I, I didn't pick up a 20p recently and went, oh, that wouldn't have happened a while back. I left it. In, on a, on, a, on a, a cafe, I dropped it out of my pocket and thought, yeah. bend, as I'm getting older, bending over is more of an effort than that 20p is worth. Yeah. And it's that beautiful, that, those two graphs, bending over and money. Yes. What, gonna, what are you going to okay, sacrifice? I'm going to go even more shameful than that. And I, I'm <laughs> really not proud of this. But uh, I, I, will, I will get out of this at the end, right? I promise you. I had some change in my pocket and about 9p of it was in coppers. And it was annoying me because it was slightly too much in my pocket. And I looked at this 9p and thought, I might, I might just put this in the bin. <laughs> <laughs> and then thought, what a terrible person I am. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely not. So I just got a jar and started collecting coppers in a jar. And went, That's what you do as yes. a sensible person. You don't put money in the fucking bin. <laughs> what kind of a tosser are you? <laughs> if you see change when it's been dropped by a lamppost or a tree... You're always scared it's going to have urine on it. Yeah, that's a pretty basic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so that, that, like that, bar that, peanuts. But no, yeah. that's the gra- glass half full, glass half empty. Yeah. My, my son was was crunching through leaves, and I was trying to stop myself saying there'll be dog turds in there. Yeah. <laughs> I just, well, I'm going. This is the, that's what being a grown up is. It is you see a pile of leaves instead of going wee, you go dog shit. Yeah. It's just, it's almost like you've who hurt you? Yes. <laughs> Syringe needles. Yeah. It's just terrible. Now we've known each other for ages. This is stupid. This I can't believe it's taken so long to get you on rule of three because oh, we. Well. We go down the pub and talk about comedy all the time. Yes. And I think maybe I thought we'd already done one. Yeah. <laughs> We've done about 30, probably, haven't yeah. we? It's just that luckily no one's been able to hear them. Unfortunately, yeah, this, this is yeah. the one time where they're going to have to put up with it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, this yeah, could yeah. be hours. But before we come up, we're doing what we normally do, which is talk about sketches and things we had that we never did. Oh, we yeah. always talk about sketches that, oh, we had an idea about X or Y and then mm. we never sold it or we never finished it. And you were exchanging a great pitch idea for a sketch or a shape that you've never done. Oh, well, this was... I, I, years ago, I used to write uh, stuff with uh, producer and now comedian uh, Ashley Blaker. 
Pretty, and we had Little this, Britain and, and Little Britain, and, and he's a, he's a, uh, does a, a very funny stand-up routine as an observant Jewish man. Which but, he is. Which he is. But this idea was basically what would the very last episodes of uh, of shows, <laughs> what would they be, how would they tie up? I mean, we even did the, the very last weather forecast. <laughs> <laughs> Do you tie up all the, all yeah. the, the hurricane? Yeah, yeah, and just, the, just how Britain's completely broken in bits and that. <laughs> But the one idea we had was the very last EastEnders, <laughs> where we thought it would end quite happily with them all looking up to the camera above them and going, cheers, and then hearing the, the, the very slow beginning of the sad EastEnders thing. Yeah, yeah, yep, sad and, version. And it pulls out of the bar, above the Vic, above Albert Square, above Walford, above East London, above the Thames, much like the title sequence. Yep. And then like that... Animation from the seventies, yeah. where it goes further and further away. <laughs> Factor of ten, that yeah, one. Yeah. Yes, yeah. above London and above Britain and above Europe and above Earth. And it goes further and further out into space, further and further <laughs> out, outside into a different galaxy. And then, like the the fact of night, uh, it goes zooming back in gradually, <laughs> gradually. And as it comes back in, you go back into Britain, but to a different part of Britain. And then you get into Manchester, and then you get into Weatherfield, and then you go into the Rovers' return, and then you can see you go right under Ken Barlow's thumbnail. With <laughs> <laughs> the whole time, the East Enders universe has been under Ken Barlow's thumbnail. That explains a lot. Yeah. I mean, it, w- it would bring all the, the different threads together beautifully. Yeah. Well, we had an, uh, I had another. <laughs> I had another idea. It's quite similar, kind of that infinite thing is. I've always wanted to do a previously on Coronation Street, <laughs> but do since the very first episode. How would you summarise that before an episode of Coronation but Street? Also, it don't make be like subliminal images. Saying, don't it? make it too long. Make it the same length yeah, as yeah. the previous. <laughs> so you've got to get it into twenty seconds. Yeah, you've got to describe seconds. basically forty years of weather. <laughs> six, six really good shots. First couple in black and white, and yeah. suddenly colour. Yeah, that'd yeah, be yeah. amazing. <laughs> so many fires and disasters. Or just, or just focus on the cat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it actually came from quite a sad source. Uh, to bring a bit of melancholia, was okay. that um, one of my father's friends um, knew he was going to be to die. Yep. Yeah. And he, he said, one of the sad things is I, I, I want to know what happens in the end of Coronation Street. Huh. Oh, wow. my God. It's not like you've been waiting for it. Just, it's the idea of it carrying on when I'm gone. I remember that, a friend of ours who huh. lost her husband very young, and he was a big Star Wars fan, and she said one of the most upsetting things was when the first Star Wars film came out after he died. Mm. And it just hurt her. She went, oh, my God, he missed this. Yeah. And it wouldn't matter if it was any good or not. But she yeah. went, just the fact yeah. that he knew that part of his life would be, I'll always go and see the new Star Wars film. I was a fan since I was a kid. So there's a new one out. There's a bit of the story he didn't get to see. And she said it was incredibly poignant. Mm. That I suppose it's that moment with telly. Telly's long. Yeah. A lot of telly's very long. And a lot of people's careers last a long time. So you followed, uh, you, you followed actors and things like that. And the idea that you wouldn't get to see a bit of their career is quite sad. Yeah. Because you expected to be well, here. I think this is... Uh, now, I'm going to go even more melancholy here. I think this is basically that um, that thing about when you contemplate the end of something, you're in some way bumping up against the notion that there's going to be an end of you at some yeah. point, isn't mm. there? Roland Barthes, I think that Roland Barthes said about when he was looking at a picture of his mother as a child, but it was after his mother had died. 
And he looked at this photo of a mm. kid and went, but she's dead. Yeah. And said, yeah. that's the problem. That's the tragedy of every photograph is that when you look at them, mm. those people are going to die. These people will one day not exist. This Welcome is... to Rule of Three. Yes. <laughs> but oddly, I thought it's fucking funny. about comedy, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is the black comedy special. Yeah. Yes. But, but I think what's interesting about this is because we are looking back a lot of the time on, on, on comedy from your childhood and, and things that, mm. that you grew up with. And there's a feeling that you are, at some point, you were part of a journey through the history of TV or radio or books or comedy that you've got a little marker that you went, well, I was this age when this came out, then the young ones came out, whatever. So you're participating in it. And then there's the feeling that you're going to go at some point and that comedy and this great thing that you know the history that goes, oh, it goes Laurel and Hardy and the Marx Brothers into Monty Python, into yeah. th that's going to go on without you and there'll be things you don't understand or you won't be able to keep up with and that what's important to you won't be important to another kid. Yeah. It's weird, we all sit in, in history and our understanding of, of TV and culture seeing a little slice of it. I, I, I find it interesting when, you, when new comedy, when you, as you're getting older, you do begin to not quite get it. Yeah. Unicorns. What's I don't. What's I keep seeing unicorns as being used as a source of humour. Yeah, you're not, you're not generation of... unicorn. You're generation fish, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. You're generation exactly, fish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, was it some? That was the lovely thing. Anucci and that going spotted when they were doing Partridge, and they said that we couldn't do odd numbers being funny anymore. Python is a, is, is, is awful of thirty-seven and three quarters and 30, 39 million and four, and they went, oh god, that's that's the previous generation. They found that funny. We find forty funny yeah <laughs> 50 lynn is 50 is the perfect number and it, it's yeah. just that, that thing going oh god there are little tastes in things there are little bits when you listen to especially now growing older and listening to things i loved when i was a kid that were old like the goons yeah and hearing in them now understanding their history that some of those go-to gags were just for that generation just for the war generation that's what they found funny yeah and i'm still getting that it's meant to be funny and i laughed when i was a kid but now i've got unicorns in my head i can't hear it quite as well yeah it's like a little echo of how funny uh, I don't know, uh, tea urns used to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's not to say I'm adverse to or to modern comedy. A lot of stuff still makes me laugh, but just to, I get flashes of things now where I think, oh, I don't get it, and I know why. It's because I'm old. Yeah, but that's allowable, isn't it? You know, yeah. You forget as well that a lot of the people when they when their stuff gets old, when they started out, they were the young people. The the, the language they were using in the first series of Only Fools and Horses would have been brand new. Yeah, you, you, forget, you forget that at one point Roy Clark was a radical. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Roy yeah. Clark was a fucking radical writer. Talking of generational shifts. Yes. Because we should, we, this is where we need to get to. Paul, what brilliant thing have you brought into Rule of Three? Gentlemen, I have chosen the first Not the Nine O'Clock News album. And it is here. He has it here in... I, have I was going to say the flesh, but it's vinyl and cardboard. I have and this, the original seed. vinyl copy that I have in my hands. And it's, um, I will describe the copy if you've never seen it before. It's very punk. It's it got is. Yeah. that sort of Jamie Reed, Sex Pistols, you know, kidnap ransom letter, yeah. <laughs> cutting out the newspaper, pasting them to a sort of graph with a kind of very early sort of Photoshop with the cast cut and pasted into, into famous photographs and the news. Brilliantly. Um, I only just noticed this. I, was, I, I grew up with this record and I knew it really well. Mm. That front cover, there's a pair of hands at the bottom. That grid is a Fleet Street magazine layout board, oh, right. and that's a scalpel. Is it? That is how my dad worked in Fleet Street and in magazines. That's how you did that Photoshop. 
you do it with a scalpel. You cut people out and stick them together. And, and he's even got oh, a bandage wow. on one of his fingers. So he's cut his finger. That is <laughs> yeah. classic Not Uncut News. And it's a good gag, but they're showing you how it's done. They're saying a little insider thing into how we do this, how Fleet Street does this, how the news is made. Yeah. This is You can see the making of it in there because that's a, that's a layout board. And they're showing you that they've cut those photos up. That's clever. Yeah. And on the back, it's, it's all kind of a, like an old typewriter has typed out the track listing. You've got certain things redacted and it feels, smudged. It feels it. edgy. I mean, this is the thing that... And he's cut his finger off completely on the back. Good. <laughs> Sick joke. Bonus gag. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but there's a couple of bits of double typing as well over the surname Curtis. Yeah. I'm sure you can imagine which letter has uh, gone over where the R should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when did you get this? How old would you have been when, when this dropped into your life? I would have been 13. Prime and age for so you comedy. It was brand new then in 1980. It was a you? Christmas present. Wow. It was in the top ten that Christmas. Yeah. This LP. And if you work out what was in this is top ten nineteen eighty, December nineteen eighty, what else came out that Christmas? I think there's an ABBA greatest hits and John Lennon's just been shot. Right. So so basically you oh, have wow. got into the top ten. Oh, then while, I'm fourteen then. Yeah, it's got into the top the series is nineteen seventy nine and the album comes out for Christmas nineteen eighty, oh, I think. Right. Okay. But it's in the charts up against uh, double fantasy. It's, double up, fantasy. it's in the charts up against Double Fantasy and the height of ABBA. This has yeah. gone to the top well, ten. We, it's a huge record. Wow. I mean, here's a funny story. My, my mate Adrian and I, he's my best mate when I was at school, we both loved Not the Nile Cot News. Yeah. We both asked for the Not the Nile Cot News album for Christmas. So I live half a mile up the road. I rip off the wrapping paper. Ah, Not the Nile Cot News. He's at home. And he rips off the wrapping paper and he says, that sinking feeling in my stomach as I see Bjorn from Abba's face. (laughs) (laughs) As I'm tearing it off, realising... Because he says, I hate Abba, but my mum loves Abba. And she just bought it because she wanted it. And he used to get rubbish Christmas presents. That year he also got a a tin tray with Stevenson's rocket on it. A pencil case and some Union Jack cufflinks. Because kids love cufflinks. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and I got, I don't know, I mean, Simon, you know, the memory yeah. game and this album and, I don't know, some gold. Whatever. <laughs> I felt so sorry for you. Suggs came round and gave you a cuddle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A few birthdays ago, my mum bought me a Star Wars T-shirt, right? Mm. So, now, this is not unreasonable for a man in his mid-40s, as I was then, to have been bought a Star Wars T-shirt, except I don't like Star Wars (laughs) and I've never professed any interest in the Star Wars franchise whatsoever. But she bought me this T-shirt, so I sort of politely said, thanks very much, Mum. Mm. The following birthday, she bought me the same (laughs) T-shirt. It went down so well. (laughs) Lazy Christmas presents. Uh, I had had a... I won't go into who it was. uh, A relation who just every year would give me something to do with oranges. This was quite... Is that that because you've been the curious orange? Because I've been the curious orange. At least there's a bloody reason. And then found out I like like Marmite, so I get, like, the Book of Marmite and an orange with a face on it or something. What does Colin Firth get for Christmas, then, for fuck's sake? Did you just get, like, you know, six tonnes of fucking stuff to do with things that he's been in. Yeah. You know, that wet shirt. Adam (laughs) Woodyat. What does Adam Woodyat get for Christmas? The EastEnders calendar. I've got you, I've got you, uh, I've got you a thing, uh, I've got you a a beadle, because it's nearly Beale. (laughs) 
I know. I reckon this. Someone said this recently. Said that there should be a ritual that you have mm. when you get to a certain age and you declare publicly, a bit like a bar mitzvah or something. You come out and say, "I'm into cats." Yeah. That's <laughs> making all your present buying easier, and people are just allowed to buy you cat stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because it happens to us all. It's pressed on us at some point. Everyone goes, oh, I remember you said you like Art Deco jewellery. Yes. And that's all you'll get forever. <laughs> the worst one is, you go, I like Top Gear. So everyone just buys you the Top Gear DVD. Yeah, and you get yeah, yeah, 30 yeah. of them or whatever. But yeah, you should be forced to declare your interests yeah. and then live by them. So, so you got the Not album. Um, what, did you watch it on the television or was this a thing that you... Did you turn it on telly or was it just a no, cool record? I'd, I'd, no, I was a big fan of the TV show. Used to watch it religiously. Pretty much from the beginning, I would say. Did you watch it from the first series when it was a different line? Um, well, I mean, it's, my memory's quite sketchy. I do remember. Well, I do remember it when Chris Langham was in it. Put it like that. Yeah, because Langham leaves after the first series. Yeah, they've got they've got the lineup, and it's not Griff Rhys Jones. It's Langham's in yes, there. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. And there's a feeling when you read interviews about him that Langham had his own ideas of what he wanted to do, and it, when it's a very producer-led show, and basically sort of they yeah. sort of parted ways. And then, then Griff Rhys Jones, who'd been a sort of sidesman in the first series, becomes the core yeah. cast. And the moment they shift to Mel Smith, Ryan Atkinson, Griff Rhys Jones, Pamela Stevenson, mm. it becomes the biggest show in the world. It's getting 12 yeah. million viewers. It's absolutely close. They are what John Lloyd described as they are instantly famous. Yes. They're suddenly so, the yeah. biggest Kicking show. Kicking out Pete Best, basically. Yeah, yeah. they get Ringo. And the, 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 it gels completely and, it's br and it goes, it catches fire. But the thing I think is interesting about this as a show, because mm. I'll profess, I'm, there is a huge show for me as well. Huge influence on me, probably more than other things I pretend that are a bit cooler, probably more than Peter Cook. It's a big deal for yeah. me. That it was a mess, that it was really hard to get going. The point I remember, it was, it's, it's a really good show, but yeah. it took a long time to get to a point where it was go going well. And I think in a world where people sort of say, why can't we just make comedy brilliant mm. again? And you go, you've got to give it a couple of series. Yeah, yes, sure. by the way, uh, TV commissioners, so this is a footnote to you personally, give it a second series. Well, the, things have a chance. Yeah. The, the pilot was made. And the pilot I found on YouTube last night. Yes, it's on YouTube, isn't it? I watched it yeah. this morning. Yeah, yeah, it's hypnotically bad. Um, <laughs> and it's, it, they make every single mistake. And they know they made every single mistake. And it doesn't go out because there's an election called. So they get yeah. a stay of execution. They go, God, that was lucky. Then they put out the first series. And uh, a guy called uh, Brian Renham was head of BBC Two. And he said something which you would never hear now. And he said, make a first series and I won't watch it. And then we'll meet at the end of the first series and we'll find out what you've done wrong. And then we'll do a second series. And he said that to Sean Hardy who, and, and John Lloyd, the producers. John Lloyd had come from radio, had never made television before. And Sean Hardy had come from Panorama and News and never made comedy before. So he was just saying, go and find out how to do this. Because you won't know. And then yeah. the reward for that is the moment he gets the cast right and the tone right and works out what they're going to do. Season two starts and it's getting 12 million views and it's the biggest thing in the world. And, it's, and it, it lands like a bomb in all our lives. And, and that pilot, watching it this morning, it was like... Um so fragmented. There's no identity to it. It was just throwing everything at a wall and see what sticks. There's yeah. bits of spitting image, isn't there? Big yeah, rubber heads. Weird, and... wasn't it? That I didn't yeah, see that very coming. <laughs> but it's 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 them trying everything, and they've, you realise where this sits in in the history of comedy. If you're doing that great long line mm. of comedy, that it's it's an attempt to redo. That was the week that was. Yeah. Weirdly, watching that pilot made me go, ah, yeah, you're, you're going, okay, what, how do we do satire? You do recaptioned photos, recaptioned sure. news footage, you do cut-ups, you do puppets, you do impressions, well, you do sketches. The beginning is almost like the first minute of Have I Got News For You, isn't Just it? Just caption competition stuff. And yeah, bits just of news showing... And a, bit, a funny bit of footage and, and then saying something different. But, yeah, they, they, yeah, yeah. they use every technique to see what will work. And yeah. it's only, weirdly, when I, when I got into it, 
probably was second series because mm. I was younger than you. And I went, oh, this is brilliant. They've, they've, they've worked this out straight away and it's, it's to do with this great cast and yeah. these great writers. But what's interesting is they've tried all the stuff there. So where it sits in the, in the history of comedy is that at the same time as this is going on, sketch comedy on television has not recovered from Monty Python is it's been left back to the old light end. So basically the best thing you'd probably see on TV at the time would be like Dave Allen or something. Yeah. But everyone else is very too Ronnie's, very middle class, very review comedy. No one's trying anything edgy. They've yeah. all given and up. That kind of, there's, there's two places where that really shows up well, especially on this, on this LP. And, the, and place number one is the songs. Because yeah. I was thinking about this, I was listening to the songs on this LP, and they're basically, they're nodding to Scar, they're nodding to The Clash. Yeah. And at the same time, parallel with this, you had the two Ronnies who were basically still doing music hall. And still doing Gilbert and Sullivan. Like, and you know, Umpan. 70 years after yeah. music hall was a thing, which That's is That's right. Well, you have, there's that famous two ninnies oh. sketch. Well, that's, that, that's where it heads. You get this feeling of them going, you don't have to be like this. But yeah. weirdly, a lot of the writers on this are two Ronnie's writers. Yes. yes. Lowe Rowley, who wrote uh, a bunch of sketches, who wrote the Darts Players sketch, the really famous one that, that, that still gets yeah. shown in clip shows where, they're, where the Darts yeah. Players are drinking rather than throwing, yeah. throwing uh, darts. David Renwick is even... Yeah, it's all these people who are ex yeah. Ronnie's, or basically who are earning a living in TV oh. comedy at the moment, writing for the Rons, and then have suddenly mm. gone, well, there's this punky show we can write for as well, which has got a bit of all the edgy material. But it's almost like they're saying, hang on, let's do sketch shows again. But instead of doing what Python did and saying, tear it up, they've just said, well, all we need to do is change the tone. We just yes. need to make it a little bit more aggressive, a bit more angry. And, and that's, in, um, I was, like you guys, massive fan of Monty Python, which was being shown in the 70s later on, I think it was repeated. But when not the nine o'clock news came out, it did have this slightly kind of steelier punk, even though it was no less as acerbic as, as Monty Python. But also, Python did feel like a heavy rock band. It's prog. Yeah. It's proggy, <laughs> oh, yeah, Gilliam's kind of iconography and all of that. It did feel like the 70s yeah. and the 60s. Whereas when this came along, it was kind of mean and taut. You're right. It's yep. airbrush yep. art versus photo cut-ups. Yeah, yeah. It's Roger Dean, yeah. yes covers and yeah. sort of like airbrush, smooth, yeah. ambitious graphics versus this kind of sort yeah. of short punky. Taking the sketches back so they go start, finish, stop. Well, that was an excerpt from the controversial and some would say scurrilous new British picture, the General Synod's Life of Christ. <laughs> Many people have seen in the film a thinly disguised and blasphemous attack on the life of Monty Python. There's very people I know who are contemporaries who don't like not and say, oh, it was a cowardly move back to mm. traditional sketch show. But I think that the difference is what it injected into the old-fashioned BBC sketch show was exactly what it needed, which is saying you can still use this form to say something spiteful and angry. It's so angry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. swear all the time. They are at the edge of rage, incoherent rage at the world. This may not have completely changed the way that sketch shows worked, but it changed the way the BBC worked. Because this is an in-house BBC show made by the people who made those cosy Mike Yarwood shows. Yeah. 
And and they really, they don't bite the hand that feeds them. They rip it off, didn't they? Hello, all sitting comfortably good. We start this week with a letter from Mrs Cook of Stevenage. What tremendous value of the BBC licence fee is. I wish all the critics would stop whining about it. I would willingly pay £400 a year for mine. But Mr Tully of Sidcup writes... £32 for a TV licence? It's a disgrace. It's far too low. The excellent service the BBC provides, it should be at least £400. It starts with some... uh, There's about three references, I think, in two different bits of material to something that was in the news at the time, which was the the documentary Death of a Princess, which went out on, I think, ITV, didn't it? And it was about a Saudi princess who had been beheaded for something or other. I'm not sure what now. So to begin with, you go, that is a fucking volatile bit of material to, to go with, and then to go with it multiple times, and then to commit it to a piece of vinyl as well and go, we think you'll understand this story. If you were yeah. young, if you were mm. ten years younger than us, right, and you were listening to this right now, you'd go, I've no idea what the reference is here whatsoever. Uh, but anyway, I mean, the main point is that, uh, you know, I, I think, for one, that uh, Britain would be a much better country if it had a really strict system of discipline like yours. Um, and I think it's a great pity that we can't afford to because, you know, if we did, uh, rich Arabs wouldn't be able to come over here and uh, gamble and screw and get pissed. <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I would have been, I would have got this out of the library, I think, and taped it for myself. I remember listening to the tape over and over again. Um, and I didn't understand any of the news stories because I was too young. Oh. But I could work out what the news stories were by what they were saying. I could work out who was being a meanie and who was being a yeah. goodie and things. You could work it out. Kids do understand stuff. I'd watch news round. Yeah. But what I could get from it is that they were furious. They were angry and they were assuming you were keeping up with the news as well and that yeah. you were equally angry with everyone as they were. I mean, there are whole sketches on this LP, which is just Rowan Atkinson wandering around the studio going, this is crap, yeah. as loudly as possible. What an amazing thing to do. This is the biggest load of cock I've ever seen. <laughs> they were very angry with telly. I remember, I remember yeah. reading somewhere, because I've read a lot of books about comedy and articles when I was growing up, and one of them said, oh, not went off the boil when it stopped being savage and it started just doing pastiches and parodies of television programmes. Like, they did a good game for a laugh, they did That's Life, yeah, they did yeah. they did points of view on this, they did James Burke, they did... And I think, no, when I was a kid and I watched them, when they took down someone on telly, especially someone on the BBC, mm. they didn't do a light pastiche where the person would walk away and go, oh, I am like that. They said to you, stop watching this. If you're watching this, you're an idiot. They think yes. you're an idiot. Into the lists against them are the smart-ass family from England. Mr Giles' smart-ass is a quantity surveyor. Dwight's Serena smart-ass is a quantity surveyor. 
saying they're giving you this crap and it's beneath you and I'm watching TV as a kid going what you're saying what about the thing but me and my mum and dad watch this together and you're saying I'm allowed to know it's no good it was was just dynamite (laughs) even stuff like question time they put the boot in Mm. and it's they're good impressions as well yeah The, the thing that needs to be talked about with not is that it was furious and angry but also that the performances were better than you normally get. Right, Okay. so here's where I'm introducing. Thing one was the songs, and thing two is Mel Smith, obviously, because, I mean, we could could do an entire fucking rule of three just about Mel Smith's performance. I nearly was tempted to. Yeah, I'm not surprised, because he he basically... He basically reinvented... Well, he didn't reinvent. He invented a comic performance which I don't think existed until he did it, did he? I'd like to start with you, George, if I may. Is stoutness as big a problem as you're making out? Yeah, it's huge. And I'd like to start out by opening something up to the audience, if I can. Can I ask anybody in the audience who is stout or who thinks he might be stout to please raise his hand? Well, I think there is in a nutshell. You see, stout people are afraid to stand up yes. for fear that they might never find their they feet. It, it's really odd, because when you talk about this being a rebel thing, because this, this could get lumped in with, say, the comic strip and the comedy mm. store and alternative comedy. It gets talked of as an alternative comedy. Mm. I don't think of it as that way, because it's BBC. It's in-house BBC people. John Lloyd's a radio producer. Mm. These are BBC people. It's yeah. not a rebel thing. It's a rebellious voice. But Mel Smith, who you always think, oh, he's a bit red brick. No, he's not. He's at Oxford. He was the Oxford Review. But weirdly, he's come out of Oxford and he's gone to the Royal Court to do drama, to do edgy drama directing. Yeah, he and didn't he, want to act, really. He brings in a voice from experimental theatre that's not to that, ha oh, review voice. And it's the first time you've heard that on TV. Mm. It's not sketch acting. Well, my team and I have really concerned ourselves fundamentally with a uh, statistical analysis of soccer violence as a whole in tandem with and related to a a psychochemical and, uh, broadly speaking, a behavioural analysis of over a thousand individual soccer hooligans. And we've come to the inevitable conclusion that the one course of action that the authorities must take is to cut off their ghoulies. (laughs) No, that's what I I really... He's been such a big influence for me because he's so understated in so many of his performances. Yeah. And has what I call proper naturalism. Yeah. Not the sort of naturalism that you seem to get now since The Office, which still to me seems affected. Yeah. There's a kind of acting style. Uh, Excuse me. Yeah? Uh, I wonder if you could help me, please. Um, I want to buy a gramophone. A what? A gramophone. (laughs) Gramophone. (laughs) A gramophone. What he does, he used to call it, they used to get the scripts, and he used to call it... uh, Roughening and bluntening them up. Right. 
Because they'd come from the usual guys. And and, oh, come on, and all of that. The usual guys are writing these, and the usual guys are kind of directing them, the BBC Mm. people. So John Lloyd will have gone through these scripts, which will have come from Richard Curtis. Yeah. And sort of nice Oxbridge writers who know how to write a, a proper review sketch for a smoker on Friday night. Yeah. And Mel Smith appears to have gone through them with a with a sledgehammer and just gone bash, bash, yes, bash. Yeah, 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 yeah. Panel beating them, yeah. Well, as you can see, it's uh, it's got all the speeds. It's got 33 and 45. Yes, what, what do it... I do with my old 78s? <laughs> <laughs> what do you say? Nothing, nothing. Uh, you say, what about my old 78s, didn't you? <laughs> no, no, I didn't, honestly, no. <laughs> all right. I just think he's... I mean, Rowan Atkinson said, and you see it when the one where they do the origami class... <laughs> he, said, he said he learnt so much from just underplaying it because he's, Atkinson says, you know, I'm, I always went bigger. Yeah. Mel's just starting. You can use absolutely any kind of... Uh, <laughs> any, any, any kind of paper for this. You can use uh, uh, an, old, an old Radio this Times. Old, since this. Radio just, Times. Just any old bit of paper. And I'm just do. folding, you see, like this. Folding it again over... This nonchalance, I can't explain it. I, I, I love he's like what the, he does. He's like the pace car, and they're all keeping up with him. He's, he comes in, and everyone just comes down to his level a bit. Yeah. And it takes the... Because they're all really, really good. I mean, this is oh, four... They're, really they are four, they're four very different performers as yeah. well, aren't they? I mean, they don't, seem, they don't seem to share a lot in common. There's obviously Rowan Atkinson is kind of right at the extreme, very pointed end of performance. Yeah. Malaria, 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 Come on, malaria, come on, it's not exactly terminal. Come on. Look, I have to tell you, I have a reserve on this bed. I've already received a telephone offer of rabies. <laughs> Uh, Pamela Stevenson, I was really enjoying her on this album, doing her Jan, oh, Jan Leeming, Leeming, is it? The news yeah. with her That's Gary yeah, you know, yeah, The thing where she just dives, she just dives into the foreign language and says, yes. I can do the foreign bits. You know. Another of Mr Mugabe's <laughs> guerrilla commanders has been refused service in a Salisbury hotel for not wearing a tie. Yes. Just lovely little things like that that yeah. she can do. And then Griff Rees Jones, who is kind of just a sort of ball of nerves yes, and energy. And, yeah, exactly that thing. I think you're a load of old crap too, Mr. Mugger. <laughs> Good night, sleep tight, hope the bugs don't bite. And then Mel Smith, who appears to be basically being the equivalent of the guy who's sitting in the corner, who any yeah. minute now is going to get up and say the most profound thing for yeah. the next three hours, you know? It's funny, though, because... Something what... very commanding about what he's doing. Do you think, by the way, that naturalism mm. that he's doing, the proper naturalism that you're talking about, yeah. by contrast with the studied naturalism that you observe in things like The Office, mm. do you think it is something that he has arrived at as a performance, or do you think it is something which has kind of come out of who he is anyway as a performance? Um, I think... It's, I think, it's his experience as an actor and, right. di- and directing and being truthful. I think the closest we got the airs of 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 that his sort of performance would have been in stuff like uh, Big Train. Yeah, well, they did a, a lot of that very throwaway stuff. It's on this back foot. I remember noticing it the first time I saw that because this this acting style it becomes the acting style that everyone does in good intelligent sketch comedy from this yeah. point on there, there's bigger stuff but when people are doing the on the back foot stuff whether it's mm. Armstrong and Miller or they start off being very very good at very sort of yeah. low key performance and certainly the big trained guys the Simon <coughs> Pegg and, and Mark Heap and things mm. and also that performance that went into the day to day yes that realism and there's bits of it in the more documentary stuff that Victoria Wood was doing Yeah, that cooling down of 
we're doing a comedy show here, but they're not doing sort of the, sorry the, the meat and potatoes of the mm. of, a, of the old sketchbooks. Mm. They're not doing two guys on a desert island with two palm trees. Yeah. They're going to do things about union negotiations. So weirdly, it suits Mel's style better than anything else. Yeah, he's yeah. the guy who's going to say, "Well, how do you do a union negotiator? How do you do yeah, someone yeah, in a yeah. TV debate who's arguing for prison reform?" Sure, it works. Yeah, no, I I I was very privileged to work with him. Really? Yeah, I did. With, uh, with Mel Smith? With Mel Smith. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah. So I was, Did you give your bean? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I didn't give my bean. No, I was absolutely over the moon. Um, it was I did a series called Rock and Chips, which was the prequel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Prequel yeah. to Only Fools and Horses. And, um, and if you'd allow me to name drop for a moment. No, but it was funny because uh, I spent a lot of time in Nicholas Lindhurst. He was a lovely bloke. And really into his comedy, really. Is he? Yeah, huge Python fan, and not an icon news. And and he, me, and him were like all getting all giggly and silly when we knew we were going to be working with Mel Smith. It's, <laughs> it's quite funny, you know, considering how popular Nick Lindhurst is, you know, and his show. Uh, yeah, so but it was it was fascinating. We did these kind of police interrogation scenes with him, and uh, it was just just amazing to watch but he was not very well at this point right so he's you could tell he was someone who didn't seem particularly happy in their skin at this point and he was quite hardcore even if he'd turn up you know 6 30 in the morning he'd be sitting there on the steps of his trailer puffing away on his cigars and yeah he didn't he didn't look after himself very well no he died, I I think he died yeah. at 60 yeah. Which is such a tragedy, really. Your diction, for instance, is I'm not... Sorry, really I'm sorry, can I put this into some sort of perspective? When I caught Gerald in 68, <clears throat> he was completely wild. Wild? I was absolutely livid. I mean... <laughs> obviously, what spins out of this, obviously, apart from loads of interesting careers and mm. we get Blackadder and things because of this, Richard Curtis, yeah, one of the big yeah. writers, Curtis and Atkinson mm. first meet doing mm. this and then start writing together a lot of mm. the sketches on this. LP of Curtis and Atkinson, but we get we get Mel and Griff after this, which yeah. is then becomes Alas Smith and Jones runs for 12, 13 seasons, runs for ages, yeah. and is the, a crucible in which loads of other writers learn their stuff. That partnership with Griff yeah. becomes a there's a feeling that that they, they they've sort of cemented this thing, and Griff has followed Mel into this new acting style, and they invent a new way of, of yeah, doing a yeah. double act. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir. Can I help you? Yes, I rather think you can. There's one particular ornament in your shop I've taken rather a fancy to. Ah, uh, yes, sir. Which one is that, then? Graham Linhan and Arthur Matthews wrote, started out writing on uh, Last Smith and Jones. Mm. Arthur Matthews' most famous sketch, uh, probably, mm. is the Amish Sex Pistols from It's Kevin. Yeah. Now, he, in inverted commas, wrote that sketch, <laughs> which is basically he transcribed an interview... <laughs> And then said, and they're Amish, and wrote the straight, that stage direction, and that's it. On this LP is my favourite Not That I've Got News <laughs> sketch, yeah. which is Abu Ben Adhel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> May his tribe increase. Yeah. Which is credited to Curtis and Atkinson on here, yeah. but it's not. But it's been written by the poet Lee Hunt a million years ago. <laughs> and all that's happened here is one of those sketches that you cannot write down. It doesn't make sense. It's just that... There are four lines to every yeah. uh, every stanza. Three of them are read by the actors as kind of sincerely as possible, yes. and the fourth one is just Rowan Atkinson making silly noises. <laughs> oh, it's pure, it's, but it's beautiful. Pure Spike Milligan. Abu Ben Adhem, may his tribe increase. Awoke one night from a deep dream of peace. 
and saw within the moonlight in his room. One of the things that John Lloyd said, that one of the briefs, which again, it takes a jump and you have to find your way there. If you're given the brief, do a topical kind of loosely social satire oh. show about the world we live in, make it a bit punky. One of the decisions you wouldn't necessarily make is, and we'll put in anything that's funny. Yeah. yeah. So they've made a decision to go, of course, it's topical, and it's edgy and it's new and it's got this mm. amazing tone. But you can do that sketch, which is just gibberish. You can yeah. do Rowan Atkinson walking on the road and bumping into a lamppost. Yeah. You can do the Swedish chemist shop sketch. Yeah. You can just do it, which is a basically just a pun. Can I help you, sir? Yes, I would like some deodorant, please. Ball or aerosol? Neither. I want it for my armpits. <laughs> You can do stuff that's about real things that are happening, like pastiches of real bands that exist. They do yeah. lovely ABBA pastiche. Yeah. Or you can do one about truck drivers that can become a huge hit. I don't know why they've made it. Or bouncing. I like, I like the broad... No. Yeah, you can, you can get broad stuff in it and, and you know, and more subtle uh, sketches. I think that... And, and with the performances as well. I mean, I think everyone's funny in that close down. Yeah, yeah they are, yes. They are all yes. very funny. Just, You're right. Just the way Mel Smith will go, I pray thee then. You know, and <laughs> it's strange. It's just the yeah again that intensity. <laughs> and to the presence in his room, he said, "What writest thou?" The vision raised its head, and with a look made of all sweet accord, answered, <laughs> "Can we just say as well in the original pilot of this?" The cast is eight men, yeah. and John Lloyd and Sean Hardy. And at the time, that didn't seem to be a problem. And John Lloyd said he decided to get a woman in, which was a revolutionary thing to do for a sketch group. Yeah. And he, he talked to Victoria Wood, yes. Susan George, Alison Stebman, and he ended up with Pamela Stevenson, who he'd seen doing some stuff in a club or something. Yeah. And he said, well, when, when he brought her in, and this is so telling of the times, he brought her in and they thought, oh, it's just John's bird. Yeah. They thought... She really? was there because she was good looking. And there was this feeling, the, one of the few things that for an edgy show is really dated, even especially since the CLP, yeah. is the attitudes to women are occasionally very dodgy. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's quite progressive. It, it manages to do things like Constable Savage about racism, but at yeah. the same time still have Irish jokes in it and still have jokes about like towel-headed Arabs and things. Yeah, yeah. It's just on the edge of, of, of there. But it's interesting looking back on it in context of history that even the edgiest show was blind to this stuff. Yeah. And you've realised how far we've come. It's, it's funny because the, the final line is a, a joke about Bernard Manning. We regret to announce that Bernard Manning, the comedian who was warned by his doctors to lose five stones or die, has today lost five stones. <laughs> and you think, oh, yeah. He it's is a bit as well. rich coming after some of the stuff you've been would saying. You, would you like to rub my tits as well? Yeah. Put your head between them and go blah, 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 blah. That... That Amex ad, that, I remember that so vividly for some reason. Oh. I don't know whether it's because so, I was just a sort of prepubescent boy who had I, I discovered met... Pamela Stevenson, or whether it was just because I just thought it was so funny. And I shall need a car. That'll be $50 deposit, sir. American Express? That'll do nicely, sir. And would you like to rub my tits, too? <laughs> Put your head in between them and go blah, 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 blah with American Express. Well, I'd remember just my father being apoplectic when he saw that on the television. <laughs> really? He was furious. <laughs> but and I was, you know, as you would How shrink funny. into the armchair if there was any 
stripper that came on the Sweeney or yeah. anything. <laughs> or, you know, the bit of hanky-panky in Minder or whatever. You know, oh, no. Or the Benny Hill show. But, uh, yeah, this was so kind of to actually hurt a say that you know and i think it wasn't because he he, he felt it was demeaning for her yeah yeah you know? and and it was embarrassing because my mum was sitting there as well it's got one foot in very trad sketch and very mm. trad thing and god it's a boys club it feels like uh, yeah, a boys yeah. club where where to be honest pamela stevenson's in there and she's in there because she's good but she's in there because she's pretty as well She's oh, still yeah. in there for yeah. the Carol Cleveland reasons. There are certain parts that the boys can't do and they're not going to drag up in this. Mm. So basically, she's there to be... But when you give her Jan Lee, when you give her Esther Ranch and Janet Street Porter, Porter, she... Own, yeah, yeah. God, but what a tough gig for her. But she said um, in, in, in... They did that fabulous interview called uh, The Reunion. Oh, yeah. it's brilliant, yeah. isn't it? And isn't she it dis- brilliant? She discusses about how... Well, they all agree that she had to work so much harder than the rest of them. It's backwards and in heels. There's a thing yeah. Yeah. There's, a, there's a thing in this which I observed when we were talking with Larry Rickard about Monty Python, that I observed, especially with Eric Idle, that there's a thing that I read a lot of as a boy growing up using comedy to educate myself. There was a man-of-the-world tone in a lot of comedy in the 70s. Mm. Where, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yeah. Locker room, the way men talked at work about things, that when you were given a glimpse into it through the comedy, yeah. that, of course, this is what we're really doing. Hey, the grown-ups are doing this or whatever. Yeah. Some of that was sexist. Some of that was the way that men talked about women. And you got a glimpse about through that, through the lines that were used in sketches. You are a piece of tail in Monty Python or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Biggles and the prostitutes or whatever. Mm. There's part of the thing you're seeing past the door off. Because what they're saying is that these politicians and these teachers and these mm. television presenters are just ordinary people. Mm. And they're just blokes. The private eye thing of, do you want to see what we're up to in here? Yeah. Do you want to see what we're up to behind the doors? Yeah. This is what they're doing. And some of that was, and they're treating women appallingly. Yeah. And I got that feeling from watching this as a kid and listening to it again now. It's one of the bits that really stands out. Yeah. Is that you've got this worked out, but you've not quite worked out how to talk to or about women. Yeah, yeah, and she's so funny in it. And but I, I remember Pamela Stevenson did the, uh, I think the, the most crudest joke, <laughs> or or one line. She was playing this kind of Australian sort of kind of hillbilly character, and so I can't remember if anyone can find out what show this would have been. Right. Well, I can't remember what the joke actually was, but it still makes me go, oh, where she says she. I don't use tampons. I just sit on an anthill <laughs> what? What? for an hour. That gets rid of it all. Whoa. Oh. Oh, my, my father would have probably just shot the television. <laughs> Maybe, maybe that's maybe that's Ooh. part of it. Maybe her being Australian, maybe her having that kind mm. of persona. She's got a toughness to her that you go, I don't... Weirdly, there's three guys in her and she's the only woman in it, and there's no woman, doesn't seem to be many women on the writing team or anything. But mm. you don't fear for her. She doesn't look vulnerable. They're not picking on her. She no. looks like she can fight. She looks yeah. like she can hold her own. That's and true. actually, yeah. I remember finding her really exciting as a kid. Not because yes. she was beautiful, but because she seemed to be confident and in charge and holding yeah, her own against yeah. the guys. Absolutely. She, I think she's vastly overlooked as a figure in British comedy because I think she's brilliant in this. And part of it is she's so tough. Yeah. Yeah, she really is nails in this, isn't she? Look, Jonathan, I know these kids. Um, <laughs> I've worked in the areas we're talking about around Lambeth, Lewisham. Um, I know their problems. I know their frustrations, lack of community facilities. I know their parents. And in my opinion, Professor Duff's suggestion that we should cut off their ghoulies is the only solution. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. 
the David Attenborough, mm. David Bloody Attenborough. That's Gerald sketch. the Gorilla. Gerald yeah. the Gorilla. It's a really interesting performance by Rowan Atkinson because he is turning everything down as far as Rowan Atkinson can possibly turn yeah. stuff down. Mm. It's really, it's a very relaxed performance. Yeah. Most unlike him, and it works really brilliantly. What I couldn't work out, though, was what's the relationship between the professor and the gorilla? It's very hard to divine uh, what their relationship is. It would make a fantastic is. sitcom, I know. That. It really would, wouldn't it? <laughs> I, like, I, like, I like the other way. David, David Attenborough has ruined it for everyone yeah. because yeah. he's got intimate <laughs> with the gorilla. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a great 1979 joke. It's just been on Life on Earth. It's a, it's a good example of where they got their ideas from. It was stuff that was in yeah. the culture rather than a direct... I think nowadays you do a direct piss take of life on earth yeah. whereas this one is okay in this world what ideas have bubbled up into your head about this and it's about a naturalist and a gorilla they were improvising apparently quite a lot in that oh so, really oh really yes so you know like the production on that album is amazing <laughs> I'm very keen on Johnny Mathis well, you're not kidding are you when a child is born blaring out till all hours while I'm downstairs trying to do some work look the production on that album is amazing it's my serious scientific project and you behave like an absolute child I'm not even it's also got it's got a classic two Ronnie shape in that the best line that everyone knows that turns up in the clip shows is right at the beginning yep. the four candles yep. line comes in really quick I was absolutely livid and then it kind of just vamps to fade on that idea and it's, that's, that's a surprisingly long sketch for, for not yeah, they, they just they, they sit there in that groove for a bit just enjoying the gorilla and the man. And, and this sort of bickering. Yeah, married do, couple. Do you think, though... Uh, I, uh, That's Curtis uh, and Atkinson's one. I, yeah. I, I was wondering whether it, this actually does work better on the record than it does visually. Yeah. Because he's got a, a, the costume they've got for Rowan it's Atkinson. diabolical, it's isn't diabolical. it? That's the problem with comedy when um, with masks... Yeah, you can't act past you, them. You, you can't act past them. I mean, that's what they found with um, Eddie Izzard's cows, didn't they? Right. With all the prosthetics, that's what killed. Yeah, it's very to... hard to get right, yeah. a comic performance out of. But, it, I mean, it is still a funny sketch on, on visually, but... I don't realise as well, one of the things that this, as an LP, let's talk about it as an LP, it's come out as an LP, and it's it's the best sketches from Series 2, sort of. This isn't my favourite not LP, I think Hedgehog Sandwich is, is my favourite, because it's got, they're, they're really in a groove by the by the second LP. They're, 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 so they've got, got trucking on it. Yeah, that's the one that's got yeah. total confidence in it, and some of the parodies on that are just, well, they're, they're, it's chillingly good. Um, <laughs> I learned these sketches off the LPs. I think I'd been allowed to stay up late to watch a few episodes of Not, but I was a bit young. So mm. I went, knowing I liked it, and got the records from the library and taped them. And I learned them. Mm. And I think, well, the first time you and I met and were doing stuff, we did a review at school, and we did some not sketches. I, I performed Alibi. Yes, I we did Alibi. I took the Griffiths Jones part in Alibi. Yeah. <laughs> but, and I realised that I had never seen those sketches. I'd only ever heard them off the records. I'd learned them off by mm. heart, but I didn't know, until really recently they repeated them, that that costume for Gerald the Gorilla was so bad. They were all in my head, and where did the LPs allow them to be yeah. whatever you want, they're as good as you want, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and, to li and also to listen to their voices and the, the cadences of their performances. Now, of course, the other thing you've broached on earlier in this podcast is the music. Oh, so yeah. in it, good. It's not shit. You don't yeah. not want the songs. Since listening to the album again, that bloody bouncing song. <laughs> I like bouncing, boing, boing, boing Up and down until I get a pain in me groin <laughs> I'm lying in bed at two in the morning last night I like bouncing, boing, boing I mean, it's perfect. <laughs> it was designed for 14-year-old children. 
Yeah. Because it's trying to shit and bounce. It's just such a babyish, immature, silly. So it's just perfect for kids. And well, also, it, it kind of tapped in, like you say, it was. it's a, supposed to be a pastiche of a two-tone band, and two-tone was very much in its, at its height at, yeah. at this point. Yeah. But it, you think, what, is it trying to be gangsters by the specials? <laughs> it, it, it's sort of... They, they look like the special sort of, but that really annoyed me because I was into all of that at the time. Which one is it meant to be? Why uh, should and, they, and, and they I don't thought, do well, that? look at Rowan Atkinson's hair. It's all wrong. It's. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the ones on this album are by Howard Goodall, yeah? Yeah. The, the, the uh, QI chat. He wrote the QI yeah, yeah. And the yeah, Blackadder yeah. theme and things like that. Yeah, right? I mean, yes. he's really... And he's a bloody got, good egg, as far as I know. He's got a, an ear for melody, isn't he? He really yep. knows, uh, get those earworms. Well, the, the co-writes on this are interesting, because obviously he writes a lot of the songs with Richard Curtis, who obviously mm. they then work on Blackadder and things together. But Richard Curtis co-writes a lot of this record. Yeah. A lot of this is Richard Curtis's early sketch writing. And it's good. He's really mm, good. Yeah, yeah. He is a savagely good and un- underrated mm. sketch writer. He's got a good voice. And yeah, I'd like to. He wrote my favourite not sketch, which is the one where uh, Mel Smith's selling Rowan Atkinson too many toilets, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is my favourite <laughs> sketch of all time. I have a painting of that on my stairs and I have the Cindy toilet from it on my desk because yeah. it's my favourite sketch. Oh, no, let's have a toilet then. Uh, uh, yes, but you've already got one toilet, sir. So. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. Right. Um, <laughs> How about how about a nice how about a nice heating rack there? Oh yes, some for drying towels and things. That's right. Mm. Yes, yes. Mm. A heating rack isn't as much use as a toilet, is it? I well, no, 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 I suppose not. No. Well, it's not my toilet. That's 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 three toilets. Ah so. uh, yes, uh, in case of blockage. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and we should we, listen. We should go into the name drop here as well. We should. You should talk about when we when we first met Richard Curtis and you asked him if he'd written that sketch. Yeah, I because it's hard to find out who wrote sketches because obviously a lot of sketches, a lot of comedy uh, occurs naturally by the action of the wind and the rain without any credit being yes. given. So I'd grown up loving a lot of sketches, not knowing who wrote them. And I, I had a funny feeling. I thought that's a Richard Curtis, the toilet salesman sketch. So I said, "Did you write that?" And so he said, "Yes, yeah, yeah, I did that." He said, two facts about that. One, it was meant to be a real bathroom but it was too expensive to set up a real bathroom. So the production designer had the idea of doing it with a Cindy bathroom. <laughs> and for some reason, that would A, make it funny, and B, meant they could do it on the budget they had, which is a stroke of genius. Yep. I've never seen a sketch filmed like that before. It's brilliant. It's like radio or like surreal experimental film. Yep. Um, and the other thing is he said, you can tell it's mine because it's one thing happening over and over again. <laughs> and you know that weddings <laughs> film I made? I'm yeah. quite good at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Which is really sweet. But he's, it's just worth saying. Obviously, mm. British Curtis then goes off from this with Rowan Atkinson, writes Blackadder, and then reinvents British sitcom. He's really good at this point, mm. and he just doesn't get enough props. Now he's become the king of rom-coms and comic relief and things. Let's give him his due and say he yeah. wrote a lot of bloody good sketches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Hats off. There's a, there's a thing with their piss takes, which I have to talk about as well. You're talking about Mel Smith giving a voice that brought performances down. Mm. Um, it's all, you're always struggling against this in comedy. You're trying to invent voices for parodies or for sketches mm. that sound like the real world. Yeah. Because we all grew up listening to sketches and comedy, and the tendency is to 
copy the things you grew up with, mm. even if those things have stopped happening. Like our giveaway is you can always tell a new writer when they write an advert sketch because they make it three minutes long. Yeah. And the sketch always goes, are you having trouble with your rabbits? No advert's been like that in yeah. 50 years. <laughs> uh, we did a sketch for Mitchell and Webb, which was a piss take of a, an Apple iPod advert yeah. back when the iPod came out. And we realised we had eight words to put the joke in because an iPod advert is eight words long. You can't go, do you want to carry our music around with you all the time? You had to go, iPod. It's, it's new. It's, it's just that. It's almost like when they'd have kids shows and they'd do it and have a cheesy host yeah. or a quiz master and they've got a silvery, glittery jacket. And you think, oh, you're doing a parody of a parody of a parody. Yeah, yeah. You're, it, you're it, stuck at Cracker Jack, basically. It goes yeah, from, come a long way since then. <laughs> yeah. And what, what Not did brilliantly is it did hi-fi shops. Mm. It did the actual voice of people who worked in hi-fi shops. And one yeah. of the things it did brilliantly which is as good as Mel Smith's laid-back voice in, in mm. Everyman sketches, is when he did a BBC parody, and they were really savage about BBC mainstream programming, it did the boring voices of presenters, mm. the flat, nationwide, mm. that's life, points of view, yes. presentation voice. They paid cash for it, and within four days it was installed and took pride of place in their kitchen. All went well for a couple of weeks. The milk was cold... The food stayed fresh, and, and even the light worked when you opened the door. When they do the points of view sketch here, the voices oh, they do brilliant. for brilliant. reading the letters, yes. they have heard a flavour in the flavourless. Yeah. And it's so convincing. The test card is quite magnificent. It justifies the licence fee on its own. Personally, I think the fee is far too low. I would willingly sell my house and all its contents. God, you can hear they've listened. Yeah. And there's a lovely observation in, in that points of view sketch as well, which is that points of view is, on face value, this is the BBC allowing itself to be criticised. <laughs> this is basically the ten minutes hate. Yeah, That's what it is. But they've noticed that it's nothing like that whatsoever. Yeah. They've gone, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. Yeah. It's another example of the BBC yeah. shoving its tongue up its own ass, <laughs> and they've decided to basically break its balls for and, it. And it's Griff brilliant. Jones is... It's so funny. I yeah. just his Amazing. voice. But you can't and everybody original suggesting... again. You cannot go back to the original yeah. and take it seriously. And that yeah, program yeah, will yeah. probably be on tomorrow. It'll be on the day afterwards. I used to have a real problem with not that what if I liked something and mm. then not took it down, mm. I felt terrible the next day watching go, <laughs> Am I allowed to enjoy Because they did James Burke, who was my T V yeah, yeah. hero. They really ripped him a new yeah. arsehole. And I still when I watched the Not Long Got News James Burke sketch go. Am I being taken for a ride? Yeah, here? no, that's 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 the one which goes a bit too far for yeah. my taste as well. I go, no, 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 you're not allowed to. Yeah. You're not allowed to knock James Burke. But, it's the no, best fucking but thing on television. They were when they did That's Life. They got the essential awfulness and patrician nature of That's Life. When yeah. they did Points of View, they got it bang right. When they did Game for a Laugh, they got the nasty yeah. circus <laughs> element of it. They and got they they earned the right to do stupid television sketches because people have stopped doing. So I've got to say this: people have stopped doing this. When there was that big reaction when Harry and Paul did that really nice piss take of Have I Got News For You? Yeah. That yes. showed you how the mechanism works. Yes. I think what actually happened was Ed Miliband, Bad Misjudgment, which was amusing. Is it a dolphin in a bathtub? <laughs> and people went, oh! and they went, because oh! no one's done that anymore. When dolphin you do a, in a bathtub. Yeah, then. when you do a sketch now about someone, a famous person, mm. very often that famous person would probably go, ha, 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 and like it. Yeah. No one enjoyed not taking them down. Yeah. And that savagery is... When, you ha when it happens again these days, and, it's really rare. And there's a really interesting bit of savagery. Uh, and the other spectrum of voice you have on Not an Iron Clock News, on the, away from the understated. And I've 
listening to it the other day, I, it suddenly clicked. I wonder if this was an influence on Adrian Edmondson's Vivian. It's the bloody bleeding, bloody Esther, bloody Ranson. Yeah, it's almost yeah. like Vivian's rant a couple of years later the good life. for the good life. Yeah. It's all got that same kind of energy and strangulated yeah. voice. Yeah, yes. And earlier tonight, I saw Nationwide. <laughs> <laughs> and that is crap. <laughs> Commuter entertainment par excellence, a bloody fucker. Felicity Treacle Kendall and Richard Sugar Flavored Snob Bryars. Criminal can impersonate trombones. They're nothing but a couple of reactionary stereotypes confirming the myth that everyone in Britain is a lovable middle class eccentric, and I hate them. It was a highly articulate outburst, maybe. So I wonder if Aid Edmondson was sitting there kind of going, oh, I like it. You know, not stealing, you know, just right. have it, but taking a, it in by It's osmosis. a tone, it's a tone, and it's a tone that just went into the books and the LPs. and the, With really good comedy, mm. you end up with a vocabulary. Python taught mm. you to be clever, mm. whatever. Or the young one said... Uh, that the, the anything is possible mm. or whatever. Whatever you grew up with or, or whatever, you, you see the office and you go, oh, my God, there's a way of doing jokes a different way than I thought. Yeah. And what not gave me was was probably the same thrill people got about beyond the fringe. Mm. God, you can be this rude. You can yeah. be this angry. Mm. And in fact, tell you what, it looks pretty cool to yeah. be this clever, um, to have worked all this stuff out. Have you guys worked all this out? Yeah. Well, Maybe well, I could pretend to be clever just by shouting at it. One of the most <laughs> savage takedowns of a quite a savage person and she hated it apparently was satanic straight porter <laughs> john tabs weston i start christian good evening and uh, they interviewed janet street porter and she said i hated it i hated her i wanted to kill her <laughs> and that's that's the opposite uh, of ronnie those... barker was furious oh, yeah. about the two ninnies as well he was livid about well they that. apparently that with the two ninnies as far as i can gather they um it was because barker had been had seen the rise of Not the Nightcock News and was sniping. He was saying it was filthy. Yeah. He was saying it was like sort of lavatorial and crude yeah, and things. Yeah, so they thought, oh, all right, yeah. took but the that, gloves off. John Lloyd said he watched the two Ronnies. He was a bit upset because he liked... Yeah. And obviously, they, they share writing teams. They share mm. building and they share heritage. They, yeah. they, they, they knew each other. And he watched the two Ronnies that night and went, no, you're way dirtier than we are. <laughs> this is because we are a family show and I will not allow smut into your home. <laughs> We're ornithologists, ornithologists. I've got a nice pair of binaculars. You can stick them on your tripod. We're marching up and down. Spot, spot, spot. Cause the sodding choreographers are what, what, what. And I couldn't care a jot if we're military men or not. With a bum, how's your father? And it was anger that he'd gone, yeah. we're clean. And there is that thing. So you can pretend you're clean, but 90% of your jokes are about leering at Madeleine Smith's cleavage, so that doesn't really count. Well, yeah. I think the difference is that Not the Nine O'Clock News was honest, yeah. wasn't it? It was, you know, it was honest about when it was being rude, it was honest about when it was being angry, and the two Ronnies were just hiding behind all sorts of, you know, established conventions. And this is not to say, let's stop, we're not going to rip on the Rons. No, 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 no. I, I love the this, two Ronnies. No, there, I've said it. And I think that the, the reason that the two Ninnies were so sensational was it comes quite late in the series and it's finding them sort of nailing their colours to the mast and saying, we're trying to say, don't go back there. 
Mm. We're trying to say, come forward into this new thing we're going to do. And this is a new way of doing it. And it's a new way of, of being articulately yeah. angry about what we're fed. How much do you feel 40 years on as this some of the sketches have been prescient? Like for me, the, the stout life. Yeah, that's a good it's sketch. It's just Twitter, isn't it? It's, well, it's peculiar, isn't it? Because that is actually a piece about identity politics. Identity weirdly. politics, yeah. In a society in which, for example, they are openly prodded onto trains, in which police, quite without provocation, break into stout snack bars and giggle openly, <laughs> openly and in which they are surrounded by stoutest graffiti. And an obvious example is maximum load eight persons. So you feel like you're more fat People. No, it's stout, it's stout. Sorry, it's stout. stout. I'm sorry, but this is absolutely crucial, Jan. It's absolutely central. Right. And also about political correctness, about how yeah. whether you whether you basically size shame somebody, you know. Yeah, you, yeah. That's amazing. That's a long most of what they did was I'd like to say ahead of its time, but that's a slightly silly thing to say, really, isn't it? Because you don't know at the time whether you're ahead of your time. But it was thinking ahead, I suppose. Yeah. It was thinking with an eye to the future rather than thinking with an eye to the past. It wasn't looking at the end of the pier. Mm. It was looking at union negotiations and the way we were talking about each yeah. other and that kind of thing. One of the things that happens when you go and pitch an idea, a sketch or a sitcom or something, and you go to commissioners or production companies, they go, why now? And it's really annoying because you go, no, it's just about a man and he has a divorce and he loves his kid. They go, why now? And you go, and you, you sort of bolt something onto it to make it feel contemporary. But actually what... Why now is a really good question, because mm. the chances are, if you don't do something that's, that's about now and that couldn't have been done last year, it will already have been done. Mm. By adding in something where the fact that the person's got a mobile phone changes their relationship with their estranged son, yeah. you're at least doing something now. Not felt like it was asking those questions about everything. Why mm. should this sketch be set in a castle when we could set it in a, in a, in a factory full of robots? They were mm. doing stuff that could only be done then, and I think the reason it still feels contemporary is because a lot of that anger and rage and politics and cant and hypocrisy has come back. Yeah. And we're back in a very divisive political thing. So that rage and things feels like how I feel now. Yeah. Maybe 10, 20 years ago, maybe listening to this under the things can only get better years, it would have felt a bit more dated. Yeah, yeah. possibly. I must admit, listening back to it the, this morning, um, I just thought this sounds especially the music it just sounds great it sounds great it sounds like you know there, there are references i need to know in a few cases but otherwise i'm going no did we all no, look up all blair these... beach we all looked up blair you... beach and it's <laughs> inter oh, interesting to to hear the uh ayatollah song which was pre-satanic verses yeah yeah you would certainly would never be doing Absolutely anything. Absolutely like not. I mean, all it is, and weirdly, because that's actually a really that's a very politically intelligent bit of material. All of the all of the politics in Not an Icon News is fucking intelligence. Very well informed, but that's just based on a pun. Mm. That's just Ayatollah come any closer. Yeah, you know, it's, just so it's lovely. It's, it, once you've found that, you go fine. Taking the rest of the day off. I've just written that. That's fine. <laughs> like the fact that everything in this is about now not topical yeah. but about now the the, the now that was then yeah. the, they're all sketches that couldn't have been done the year before or the year after mainly yeah there's a real sense of urgency about them i think i believe that the sketch the devil worshipping yeah <laughs> i mean that I, and also going back to uh, influences on performers uh, 
Griff Reese jones and Pamela Stevenson as a satanic couple, it's like human remains. Yes, Very absolutely. Yep, spot on. Generally, the thing I, yeah, I would credit this for, and you're bringing up Mel Smith is perfect, is that this changed the way that you performed and set and filmed yeah. sketches, and it said they can be just as funny turned down a bit. Yeah. And that's a revolutionary thing. But it pulls the world of the sketch yeah. closer to the world of drama, closer to the world of reality. Yeah. And it felt felt really close to reality in a way that sketch shows didn't before, that you were definitely in Sketchland before. Yeah. It did give me one thing where if I didn't like something at that age, I used to just turn around and go, I couldn't give a toss. <laughs> Valuable language. Yeah. Well, I learnt so many things. I Ghoulies. I find good words. Mum, what's premenstrual tension? <laughs> Mum, what's ratatouille? Yeah. You know, educated by com- all raised yeah, yeah, by comedians. Yeah. Aren't what's we in the a wild? theological grey area? <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell, I've got a very, very brief Griff story that Go I just, that we worked, actually we all worked on, Griff did a comeback show with the one Griff, and we all worked on great, great things, and I'm going around Griff's house, and there not being enough people there to read sketches in, I was, I was so starstruck, because Not was a huge influence, he said, come around the house and we'll read through some sketches, there weren't enough actors there, and we hadn't cast it, and I sat opposite him, and he said, you read in these parts, I went, oh, shit, I've got to read opposite Griff. And he was reading and he was giving it, and I'm, I'm shit. And I was giving it back and I was going, shit, I'm, I'm doing some sketches with Griff. <laughs> and then Griff just stopped after a while and put his head in his hands and he said, oh, he said, it's not you. It's just that it's not Mel. And he looked really heartbroken. Oh. And Mel was still alive at the time, but it was just this feeling of going, I had something special with him. And even yeah. if you wrote this sketch and you're giving me the lines back... You can't do it as well as Mel would, and I can't pace my performance because the pace car's gone, the, 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 the pace setter. I would yeah. have been following Mel for guidance for this, and, and you can't do that. And God forbid, he, he was saying, no one could. But there was this yeah. real feeling of going, God, they were all watching each other. They were all paced to each other, and that's... Yeah. There's, there's performance in this, which is brilliant, but I think it's they're all really learning off each other. Mm. Listening. It's, it's great. Mel was in that... Um... The one Griff, wasn't he? They mm, did a yes. final head-to-head. Yeah. Um, and Mel, they basically did it on the condition that we're going to do one take. There's no retakes. If it doesn't work, it's out of the show. Mel turned up on the evening. They did one take, got in. Um, he left. He wasn't at the drinks afterwards. That was it. He just came in and left again. Mm. And that was the last any of us saw of him, really. But he's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And I think I think... Griff phoned Mel because of that read-through at the table. Because yeah. he went, I can't do a show without Mel. And it was a little callback to like what they'd got yeah. together and, and what, what this, this show had meant to him. Because obviously he met yeah. his, one of his best mates there and they, they had their career, huge. Yeah. Not, was it four seasons of Not, three of which anyone remembers. Yeah. Um, and then, then, and then basically the whole of British sketch comedy for, for 15 years is, is yeah. off the back and, of it. And, of course, Mel Smith directed Rowan Atkinson and The Beans. Yeah. So they yeah. carried on that relationship, working relationship. Yeah, and it gives and, you Blackadder and it gives you... Yeah. So many people come off this. Uh, mm. Hamilton and Jenkins who did Outnumbered and Dr. Dead Donkey and things yeah. all come off this. It's, it's a random little training ground. And the most exciting thing is it started so badly. 
Yeah. No one yeah. knew what they were doing. No one. This yeah. feels like a comedy supergroup, and you have to remember it wasn't. Mm. It was just being given a chance. So it was alchemy. Yeah, pure magic. Yeah. yeah. Now, these, this album has been out of print, apparently, since it was first pressed. It, it, it's, it's remained out. Of, it's never been repressed, but except... In December 2019, it and the other three Not albums were all re-released as very saucy vinyl box set and a CD box set. So, hurrah! Oh, we yeah. can all enjoy them all over again, but this time remastered. And with some uh, sleeve notes by Mr Tim Worthington. Ah, uh, yes. Who knows his stuff, who will be correcting all the things we've got wrong. He will be. Yes, great. Will he? Yeah, he probably will. Hello, but, Tim. But it's amazing. <laughs> Someone has decided to box up that alchemy. And also, I think important to say as well, definitely, this was how these were experienced. They were experienced to listen to. I definitely yep. learned them off audio. Yep. Yep. They were only on... This is, again, we're probably talking before everyone had videos. They were seen once, but my God, they were learned off these LPs. And the rhythm of these LPs is great. And even the, the end of this album, the final bit, <laughs> they invent negative land, the, the cut and paste band. <laughs> yeah. It's or it's <laughs> revolution number nine in, in short form. <laughs> he bloody does eat daffodils, you know. <laughs> uh, thank you for bringing in a piece of alchemy on vinyl. Paul Putner. Paul Putner. Go on, wobble it in front of the. Go on. Whoa. Look at that lovely BBC logo. Oh. Can I just make clear that was Paul Putner wobbling a BBC record rather than... It wasn't any well-known, <laughs> disgraced Australian entertainer. <laughs> God, we got through the whole thing without mentioning any other disgraced entertainers, so we've got to the end. That's brilliant. Fantastic. Yeah. Well done, everyone. Oh, uh, think about yeah. Chris Lang. Shut, shut oh, up! Bye! Yes. <laughs>